Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, world? Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. On today's episode, I was lucky enough to be joined by Justin Mott. Justin is a photographer who is based out of Hanoi in Vietnam, and um, primarily, like all of his subjects are are people in in Southeast Asia. Uh, Justin's been featured on the BBC, CNN. Uh, he mentions in this episode that he was in the New York Times uh, a couple of times. He's been in Forbes. So uh, he's got quite a following at this point. And he's also on a, on a TV show on the History Channel. It's not featured here in the States, but it is in Southeast Asia. And that's called Photo Face Off. I'll let him describe uh, what that show is because he talks about it in this episode. Now I need to mention, at this point I feel like in just a total broken record, but... I had technical difficulties in this, and so if this sounds good to you, that means the wizard, uh, that's Brian the Wizard Goldsman, he fixed this up again. I'll briefly explain. I don't know why I am, but... um, So Justin's obviously in Vietnam. I'm in New York. Vietnam's 11 hours ahead, and um, I was actually getting ready to hop into bed, get ready to go to bed, get, get up for work, and Justin had some availability, so, you know... I want to do his schedule justice and, and I don't want to disappoint him. So sure, right away, sure, I'll go set my stuff up. I have three different things recording at once, um, it be, mostly because I'm paranoid. But the Zoom, uh, just a couple minutes into the recording, stopped recording because the memory card was full and I didn't realize that. There's some sort of problem with my interface and the drivers for that for the computer, so that stopped working. Uh, so I had my computer audio going, and then I had like a, my third option was a phone backup. So all, all that is a long-winded way to say if this sounds good, please send some love to my brother Brian again. Thanks, Brian. All right, back to Justin. So. Justin's photography, I think, is just absolutely amazing. I think it's beautiful. You might have seen, I guess, what is his most famous photo that's kind of kicking around the internet is um, this woman swimming underwater juxtaposed with a guy riding an elephant in the background. If you go to his website, Justin Mott, it's M-O-T-T, you'll see that as kind of like the cover photo on his site. Justin also has, right now, it's a really exciting project. It's an open source project called As Above, So Below. This is actually how I first heard of Justin. And uh, the picture that he has where it says As Above, So Below, an ode to Vietnam, is a woman in, I think it's a tea field, uh, with the quintessential, like, conical Vietnamese farmer hat. Um, and like the, the pick over her shoulder, like you've seen people that look like this if you've been to Vietnam before and, and just this, this photo and some of the other photos, I, they're beautiful, first of all. And even though that, you know, good artist objective, I guess it, I, I think you'll find it beautiful as well, but I, I really think he captures the mood of being in Vietnam, if that's possible. At least it, it, it really reminds me of, of, of being in Vietnam. And I just, I really admire the fact that he's got this open source project where anybody can gain access to his images and use them, you know, without having to pay for them. 
I think uh, in a way he's giving a voice to some people who might not have a voice and, and bringing their story into the international community. Specifically, he has a, a project that's called Legacy of Horror, Agent Orange Victims in Vietnam. Now, I talked about this a bit, what was it, in the Hanoi episode? I'm actually going to look this up as I'm talking to you because I don't remember if it's in Hanoi or um, Saigon. But, um, yeah, the War Remnants Museum. Where is this? Oh, it's in Ho Chi Minh. For some reason, I thought it was in Hanoi. Um, yeah, the War Remnants Museum. I guess the, the slang for it is the... Uh, or I guess it has been renamed the War Crimes Museum. Uh, I did talk about this in the Hanoi episode, so go back to that if you if you or not the Hanoi. I'm sorry, in the Saigon episode if you want to go back and listen to that. But uh, there's a whole floor in that museum dedicated to imagery of Agent Orange victims. Uh, I think it. I don't want to kind of trivialize it, but when you're there, at least the feeling that I got was it's almost like watching a horror movie that's real. It's like watching a documentary of absolute horror. Um, I mentioned this in the episode, but honestly, I'm not, you know, trying to sound uh, like all noble here, but there was a moment when I was there where I had to break away from, from my friends and, and, go like I went to the bathroom and, and I cried and I was trying to cover up the fact that I was crying. It's so, it, it's so horrifying. It's so powerful. You feel all these mixed emotions, especially as an American, not guilt per se, but I've almost like embarrassment. Um, there are quotes in the museum as well. And, and one of the quotes was of, I'm going to paraphrase this and I don't remember exactly who said it, but uh, a Vietnamese person had said, you know, we don't blame the American people for these things. You know, we don't blame them for the war. We, we blame governments for getting into these wars. Um, and something that I think people don't realize is that the effects of Agent Orange, uh, the genetics, they, they skip generations. So there are children born in 2017 or within the past 10 years, within the past five years, who have significant birth defects uh, because of, you know, chemicals and, and weaponry used during the Vietnam War. If you've been to Vietnam, you've seen it. And, um, you know, it's really powerful. And these are people that are born with, with some of them, with significant birth defects to the point where, like, they can't work. And, and you'll see folks uh, on the streets in the two major cities, and they're begging and Justin brings this up, and Justin is a really smart guy, and I think he didn't explicitly state this, but I think he's trying to bring to light a lot of issues through his photography. And he mentions, like, you know, this is something that the United States is still not accepted uh, that they've done, taken claim for, for doing this. And I'm not trying to to badmouth the United States. You know, I live here. I think through my travels... I've grown to appreciate where I live even more. You know, I think about this quite frequently now since I've returned from, from Africa that, like, it, it's so easy for me to just go get water. It's no big deal. I think about this at work. When I go, I fill up my water bottle at the water cooler. And, like, if, if someone accidentally spills some, it's no big deal. But 
at the home I was at in Nairobi, like where you would have to purchase your water or go hike it up to the home, like it's a big deal if you spill water. So again, I'm very long-winded, I'm sorry, but that's a long way of saying I'm not trying to disparage the U.S. But I do think it's incredible that there are people born today in 2017 and they're born with birth effects from, you know, weaponry that we used and we haven't accepted the claim to that. And we're here signing billion-dollar arms deals uh, when the international community should be getting together and helping people who need help. And it's not like unwarranted charity or it's not a people who could be working and are like being lazy or something like that. No, there are people that are born with significant birth effects. They're dealt a bad hand. And that's, you know because of actions taken by the United States. So I really respect Justin for the work that he's done. You can see all that again on his website. Um, So check out his website. Check out the show if you live in Asia. He has like an Ask Justin feature too, if you check out his Instagram where he answers questions about photography, like technical questions and things like that, like what makes this photo good or or how could this photo be better? Uh, So that's really cool. And uh, I just want to thank him again, not necessarily a reason for him to join my podcast, uh, but he did. And I love conversations like this. I I love to get to learn from people. And I think that he's got a great message and I hope you learn something from it. Uh, So please, please support him. Check out his work. He does have prints for sale and things like that. And he talks uh, in the episode about how he's going to put out a book. So when that comes out, hopefully uh, you'll buy it. Um, wow. Long intro today, Tim, huh? Uh, I do want to reiterate, I mentioned this in the last episode. I'm going to be going for sure. I'm going to be going, well, I'm going back to Vietnam, um, as a kind of like my base uh, for sure. I'm going to be going to Bali. I'm strongly looking at now, uh, Sri Lanka and Myanmar. So if you have recommendations for those things, I would love to hear them. Uh, if you have some feedback, I'd love that. I have some new stickers in. Uh, if you're interested in that, I'm not selling them. I'll give it to you for free. I'll mail it to you. If you want to reach out to me, uh, it's uh, the, uh, gosh, the voyages of the voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com. Um, all right, folks, as always, a uh, little bit of an emotional intro here, but um, thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Uh, please take care of each other. Uh, and until next time, peace, everybody. Bye-bye. So today I have Justin Mott on the podcast. So Justin, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Justin, you are a uh, a photographer, obviously, and uh, is it fair to say that you're becoming a bit of like a a personality within the photography community? TV show about photography on History Channel. Unfortunately, it's not in the interview podcast in the U.S. It's on History Channel, and it's only in Asia. So it's filmed out of Singapore. It's a reality show about pitting photographers against uh, amateur photographers against each other. And I'm the 
face of the show. I don't know why they chose my face, but I'm the resident judge, and we're just we're in the middle of filming season four right now. It's been quite a success out here. So how did that come about? Yeah, cool story. Uh, years ago, uh, I've lived in Vietnam for over a decade. Uh, I've made some contacts in, uh, in the film industry. I mean, in the sort of in the production industry. I did some video work for this company a while back, and I guess History Channel was asking around, like, who a photographer, who's a photographer in the region that sort of shoots everything would be good on TV. And a friend of mine just referred me through my through my name in the in the hat, and then they contacted me and said, hey, can you do a you just do a quick audition tape. It came down to me and one other guy. I'd never done television before. And I did kind of a silly, <laughs> a little bit of a goofy uh, audition. Had some fun with it. They liked that. And just going with me. Season one, you know, we worked out the kinks, trying to figure out how the full battle show would work. Season two, it got a lot better. And it just took off from there. It's been going really well. Like I said, we're halfway through filming season four right now. We film in six countries. Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore. And usually it's a wild card country this year. It's the Philippines. One year we did Taiwan. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's all done by, the show is, is all done by Canon, uh, Canon Asia. So they sponsor the show fully. And it's based on the Canon Photo Marathon, which isn't a big thing in the U.S., but it's huge out here. The Canon Photo Marathon is an event that Canon puts on in all these different major cities throughout Southeast Asia. And it's a one-day sort of mega photography contest they have. They'll rinse out stadiums or giant convention centers and they get thousands of photographers come in and they get about three themes throughout the course of a day and at the end there's tons of prizes so they have a few hours to go shoot the theme so it might be okay today's theme is you know concrete jungle they have to go out in the city in Singapore and capture that and then come back file images and get another one so it's a really fun event and you know, I think it would go over well in the US I wonder why they haven't haven't brought it there yet but it's, it's quite a big event here and the show's sort of based on that uh, Canon Photo Marathon. Wow, that is, that's really cool. I, I want to I want to try to backtrack uh, a little bit. Um, talk about how uh, like your first foray into photography and how you ended up uh, coming to to live in Vietnam. Sure, I was I was um, bartending in San Francisco. I grew up in Rhode Island. I moved to San Francisco just to change of uh, pace. My brother lived out there. I'll try to condense it. It's a long story, but I moved. Uh, I moved to San Francisco. I was bartending, paying my way in an expensive city, uh, paying my way to go to school. I went to school a little bit later in life, in my mid twenties, and then into my late twenties. I was studying journalism. I got into photojournalism because I had to take a photography class uh, as part of my journalism uh, schedule. So I had to maybe take a photography class. I fell in love with it right away. Uh, it was nice that I. I, I did, uh, short attention span, so this got me out of the classroom, out of the city, out of the foreign. And you know, taking that class, I really fell in love with photography. And then I got more into photojournalism, started doing some some stories in for our magazine, for the school magazine, school newspaper. And then I just got caught in that whole world of it, you know, and, and the romance of it, of working as a documentary photographer, as a photojournalist. I decided to take some time off after my father passed away to sort of go explore the world. I never really left the U.S besides a small trip to South America, but nothing on my own, really. And I, I went, my father passed away. He grew up on a small island off the coast of Rhode Island called Block Island. I went back there, waited tables for summer, saved up some money, met someone that worked for Time Magazine there, and she, she invited me into Time Magazine just to meet some editors. I walked in there. I was way out of my lead. I didn't have the right work to show. I felt a little bit 
you know, not ready to be there. And I just told myself I'd go back there one day or I'd get work for them one day and I, and I wouldn't be ready to be there. But it was very nice. The lady, the editor, looked at my work. It was, you know, pictures of fall foliage and stuff. And it was kind of embarrassing. But, I, you know, I just made that trip to New York to sort of see what that world was like. And she recommended to... She recommended a, a workshop by the Seven Photographers. I don't know if you know Seven, but you know it's a, James Knoxway and Gary. It used to be a big collective, and I'm not sure what their status is now. But she recommended a workshop by Gary Nett in Cambodia. I was thinking about heading to Southeast Asia anyway, so I saved up money, did the workshop. You know, he really kicked my butt, taught me that uh, I need to get a lot better at photography. And you know, ten years later, <laughs> I think in that workshop I was the worst one, and now I'm the only one who's a working photographer. I think that's true. I haven't noticed any of the other guys working as a full-time photographer. So it really taught me that hard work. It wasn't just about it wasn't about talent as much as it was hard work and persistence. And I started getting work. Uh, I came to Vietnam, worked on a couple of personal projects on Agent Orange, and then. From there, I pitched the stories around. Gary Knight, the teacher of that workshop, he helped me get published in Newsweek. He basically said, put my name in the subject uh, to this editor, and at least he'll read it and look at your work. That's the most I can promise you, but that's all I needed. The editor liked the work, bought my piece in Newsweek. Uh, I started getting work uh, for the New York Times, and when I started getting work for the New York Times, my career really took off, and, and then the past few years grew into commercial photography, the TV show, I have a destination wedding photography business and a photography tips website. I kind of do a little bit of everything. Wow. But really, that was the, the move out here. Personal project work really launched me into, you know, story, you know, developing my style as a photographer, learning about my style and storytelling, and then getting work for the New York Times. And and I still I still do a lot of editorial work, not as much anymore. I can kind of pick and, not pick and choose exactly what I want to do, but I can... I'm at a point where I, the commercial work books up a long time ahead of time, so I, I can choose editorial work that I that I like for the most part, which is nice. Wow, very cool. Something that you mentioned in there, Justin, was uh, your work covering Agent Orange. And uh, I had been to the War Crimes Museum when I was in Vietnam, and there's like there's a whole floor. I'm sure you've been there, right? Yeah, so there's, there's a whole floor or a whole exhibit on um, images of Agent Orange victims and, and, and there's some quotes and things like that. And it's, it's really moving. Like, I remember when I was there, like, I had to slip off to the bathroom to, like, not be embarrassed to cry in front of my friends. Because it is, like, yeah. one of the most powerful and, like, horrifying things that I think I've ever seen. Um, how, how did you go about doing your work? So the work that you're doing now is... Um, I mean, you weren't covering like past images. You were covering people who are still affected today, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I got started, and Tim, I had a similar experience, and I'm I'm not a crier, but I I actually the way I got into learned about the H and R story was a book by uh, magnet photographer Philip Jones Griffith. I looked through his book at a during my age here at a bookstore, which people don't go to anymore. But I was at a bookstore in San Francisco, flipping through photo books. I used to take time in between classes and just look at different works of photographers and go to the bookstore and just just browse. And I was looking through his work, his book about Agent Orange, and yeah, I cried. And I, that was the first time I felt like, wow, photography can really move you. You know, when you really look at it, it can have an impact. It doesn't always change things the way you want it to, but it, 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 it moved me, and it was a powerful story. And I thought, well, that would be an interesting story. I, I think I didn't know much about it. I felt like, well, this story's been done a lot, but maybe not done recently and for my generation. In fact, I didn't know about it. I'm sure people younger than me at the time. I was, 
in my high 20s, so 28 or 29, I thought, well, you know, my age and people younger might not even know that this is still a problem and this still affects people. So when I went to Vietnam, I researched the story and got access to an orphanage there, and I made it really about the, just that specific orphanage, and, and I did a multimedia story, and then later it was picked up by Newsweek. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite sad. It was quite hard to, to be there. It was uh, a tough story to do, and but I'm glad I did it. And, and uh, I've, since then, I've done some other stories related. I've spent more time on another story that's more about, less about Agent Orange, but the subject is uh, was a young girl who quite involved with this to this day. We still sponsor her to stay at the orphanage, but she was a victim of, or thought to be a victim of Agent Orange. It's tough to trace, and the test is, you know, it's quite expensive, and, and time-consuming to figure out what the exact cause of different effects are, birth defects and mental uh, issues and things like that. But people think that she's a victim of Agent Orange just because of her grandfather's uh, past in, in where he fought in the war. And then her father had some issues too. So yeah, that was three generations later, still a problem. And still to this day, I think that you know the government in the U.S. has not quite admitted hasn't really admitted fault for that. There's been small efforts for cleanup, but never been admission of guilt. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> with our current uh, regime, it definitely won't be admitted. But yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. It's I've been to Vietnam twice now, uh, and it's something I didn't realize that you know some of these genetic defects are like skipping a generation and are even showing up now. Um, so yeah, I think that the work that you're doing, uh, you're doing an amazing job to shed light on that. Um, how how did you gain access in, into into people's homes to be able to photograph that? Um, well, the, the two places that I shot were orphanages, and because a lot of times the children have these effects, they're giving up, they're given up right at birth um, to different centers. So I just through a friend. My friend is a, a teacher here. She's a, a teacher. Uh, her. A lot of our students or parents have a lot of influence, so, you know, it's sort of like anywhere. It's, it's who you know and who they know, so she knew the right people, and we're honest about what we're trying to do, and I think people like the idea that, that you're trying to get the story out, and uh, and I just stayed there and stayed and was persistent. I think people expect me to be there for one day, but I was there for several weeks. Uh, they just sort of, and that's when they started to sort of ignore me, and that's when I got sort of my best moments and best shots. Wow. Um... But it's not easy to get access in Vietnam. It's always tricky. You stick out a lot. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't blend in well. I'm six foot one, very white guy. <laughs> uh, Justin, you live in Hanoi. I do. Yeah, my business. We have an office in, in Ho Chi Minh as well. But my main staff and, and I live. Yeah, my home is in Hanoi. Okay. Um, so one of the things I, I don't necessarily consider myself to be part of like the the blogging and travel industry or anything like that the, this podcast uh while i'd love for it to become really big one day like it's just it's just a hobby that i do um but one of the things i've been running into lately is um how can i put this to try to be balanced in what i'm talking about in the sense that i, I look at a lot of people on like instagram and twitter and things like that and and they're travel bloggers, right? Or they're like Instagram people who are getting endorsement deals and product sponsorships and things like that. And what they're showing of the places that they go to is something that only they would be able to experience. It's not 
the things that the people on the ground would experience. Uh, for example, I was just in Nairobi and I saw like these really beautiful pictures of these people staying in these really expensive hotels where the giraffes come and they stick their heads in the window. Uh, but that's not the reality of a, of a Kenyan, right? That's not something that they're actually doing. So I, I, th I think that uh, that your work through uh, the Ancient Orange, um, you have work on, uh, I believe, uh, people addicted to drugs in Phnom Penh. Uh, is this... Mm -hmm. Is this, uh, this is a long-winded question, but is this a, a conscious decision that you're making to kind of feature uh, maybe the darker side of places that people like to travel to? Or what's, what's, what's your method in terms of the themes of your photography? Um, yeah, a lot of my, my work first started in, in my own personal projects when it's, it's a nice time when you're younger and you, you have the luxury of not worrying about, you know, your bills and things like that. So I did stories that I was drawn to, and different different times in my life I've been drawn to different things. Um, I was drawn to quite emotional, sad stories. I don't, I never really dug deep inside myself to know why. <laughs> Maybe it was a little bit influenced by some of the photographers that I I, I grew up uh, looking at, like a lot of the guys from Magnum and a lot of the guys from Noor and Seven, uh, conflict photographers, storytellers, and I liked their work. Um, now I started a personal project about sort of disappeared beauty of Vietnam. I just launched it. I just started shooting it, I should say, and it's about an ongoing project. But I'm at a point where I really just want to step away from some of the negative things and focus on the positive. And it's not about luxury or anything like that. It's just about the pure beauty of this country because I've been here for a decade and I've shot, it's always been for someone else. And since I started my personal projects, I've never got back to shooting my own project in probably 10 years, which is sad to say, but... And it's a good thing. I guess I've been working so much and shooting for other people. So I wanted, I'm going back to revisit places that, that I find beautiful and things that I find interesting and shots that I want to uh, capture. And I'm doing it through aerial photography, which is something I've sort of got into recently. And I'm mixing in drone aerials and, and combining each image with a, it's a little bit conceptual, this project, too, a little bit with on-the-ground travel stuff uh, and daily life images, portraits, daily moments and things like that. So... Yeah, that was a different time, I guess. I, I still am, I still do assignment work where it's sad stories, happy stories, a little bit of everything. I, I just like stories in general. It doesn't have to be happy or sad or uh, extremely political. It, it's, I like a little bit of everything. I like a nice balance. But no, you mean, I think, you know, if, you, if you're a photographer and you're looking to get a lot of hits, of course, the, you know, it's the same, right? Pictures of sexy people or sexy places right. or luxurious places sell well, but I don't really think about... That. I just think about what I'm curious about, what I want to explore. Uh, I do want to get to to that new work that you're working on, um, but I wanted to circle back to the Phnom Penh uh, work. When you're when you're um, when you're taking photos of people, are they opening up and explaining to you um, sort of the, the source of some of their issues? I, I was wondering about in Cambodia. Uh, like if anyone talked to you about like the history, I guess, of the drug use and if the source of that goes back to like the war era or anything like that. Yeah, so the story in, in, in Cambodia was for the New York Times, actually. It was a story about, it's a little bit different because it was a story about drug abuse in the, in the prison, so we couldn't get access to the prisons, unfortunately. Um, wow. But it was really about, sorry, it was about physical abuse in the prison. So there was drugs rehab centers or drug prisons. Oh, I see. And the prisoners were being 
the prisoners were being abused by the guards physically. So wow. that series was, was about telling the story sort of, instead of going into the prisons, yeah, again, because we couldn't, um, it was about showing the problem on the streets and showing the, the rehab centers and interviewing some of the people that had been abused and getting them to trust and open up to us. And basically they, they were okay with it, but not showing their full faces. So I showed them some of the pictures that you see on the site where it's dramatic light the size of their faces, and they were okay with that. So it was sort of on the fly coming up with, okay, we've let you into this uh, sort of rehab center. Now you can do portraits, or you know, if you just capture like wide shots of people hanging out, that's fine. But if you're going to do portraits, don't show the full face. So it's the beauty of digital is I could show them what I was capturing, and they could approve or not approve. So that was, you know, and I respect that, and that's that's. That's how I told that story. And then I got access just to the people that worked there, and then we went on the streets. But we were on the streets, too. The police showed up and, and didn't want us there, so we had to be quite sneaky. But we had access just through some of the... It was an interesting story because I found out some other things when I was there as well. The, uh, the story started about that, but I also learned a lot about the, the guys that were doing a lot of the help in, in the drug outreach programs were actually Cambodians that... There is a tie to the war because a lot of them, their parents moved to the, the U.S. as refugees. Some of them were documented. Some of them aren't documented. So they, they started in, they grew up their whole lives in, in, in the U.S. And some of them ended up in gangs and they were convicted felons. And part of the law in the U.S. is they were sent back to Cambodia. So it was quite sad because they got out of prison or they went to prison and were then all of a sudden sent to a country they knew nothing about because they didn't have any of their paperwork. So these guys wanted to make something good with their lives. A lot of them were... That was quite an interesting story. I wish I had time to go back and do that story. It would have been a really great documentary. I'm sure someone's done something nice on that, but it was interesting. So these guys have no connection to Cambodia, except that, you know, that's where their relatives are from. And they were forced to move back there, not allowed into the United States. And they wanted to make something good with their lives, and so that's what they were doing, was helping people with drug issues. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I mean, there's a really strong parallel to uh, deportations to Central America and Mexico today. And I think that issue comes yeah. up with, you know, hey, I'm an American. I've lived here my whole life. I'm going back to a place that I don't know. That's fascinating. Sure. And I don't think people think of that as Cambodia, you know, and how long ago it was. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very similar. A lot of parallels. And it's just most people don't associate it with it because I don't think there's as many, as many people that had that same issue, but yeah, it doesn't happen. Wow. So that work, uh, the project that you're working on now, is that the one that's titled As Above, So Below? Yes, yep, that's the project I just started, and yeah, I just sort of launched it and did the first part of it. It's going to take me a long, long time, but uh, you know, I'm a sharer on these social media, so I've been putting it out there, and it's been a lot of fun to, I sort of go off of that feedback too, I like to test what what you know, people are gravitating to, and what people like, and, and what people don't like. It's interesting. So I really wanted this project to be in real time as I as I shoot it. So I'm going to shoot BTS. I have its own Instagram account for it, uh, and the project's quite unique in that I'm going to do something that photographers that listen to this and other photographers might not like, but I'm going to give the images, open source them to people of Vietnam for free, and it's something that I know people won't like that I'm doing it, but it's I understand the value in, in charging for your images. I've always had a copyright, and I'm a big believer in charging for things. But I've also lived here a long time. A lot of people have let me into their homes. They've given me access to things. And it's just a little peace of mind for me to give something back to Vietnam. So it's sort of like my gift to Vietnam. 
That's amazing. I was going to ask about, because uh, I had read that it was open source. I think that's so cool. Um, what what are, are there certain themes, I, you started to touch on it, but are there certain themes or topics or, or, or images that make up this project? Yeah, I, I thought about how complicated I would get with it, and then I thought I, I thought I was getting thinking too much about it, and I decided to keep it more on the theme of beauty, and, and really beauty through the culture, the people, and the landscape. So I am looking, and, and, and really where it will get complicated is, I will use a lot of different disciplines of photography. You know, a lot, I will shoot, you know, fine art, conceptual. I will shoot air, a lot of aerial landscape shots, a lot of portraits, a lot of everyday travel. So it's going to be a mix, and the, the connection will always be, I'm always going to try to connect in above and below, hence the title. So I'm always going to try to do a series of diptechs, maybe, maybe even printed above and below. And then the exhibition, I want to do something fun with the images sounds wacky, but I'm going to do something with the images, like maybe on the ground, people walk over them and look down for all the aerials. And each, each image will have a harmony of a, you know, that connection, each set of images will. How I do that, I think it remains to be seen. It's sort of like a challenge I've put myself, but I've started on, some of them might be obvious, it might be like you, you see on the website now or on my Instagram account, of, you know, a shot of someone in a tea field from really high up above and then a portrait of that person down below, and some of it might be a little more conceptual I'll, I'll see as the project progresses yeah I mean Justin I'll be honest the this project that you're working on now is is what I first saw um, in terms of your work like I, I follow all sorts of stuff related to to Vietnam just because I love it um, and I I, uh, I I love what you're doing so far and I think it's going to be fascinating because like you said whether it's tea fields or, or rice fields um, like from that to like Halong Bay to Ho Chi Minh City, like the different landscapes in in Vietnam are so fascinating and diverse and beautiful. I think you've got like an amazing subject matter to work with. No thanks. Yeah, it's exciting, and, and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself by promoting it so heavily. So it's making me do it. You know, I know if I have this Instagram account, if I if I'm working with uh, sponsors. Um, and if I'm promising this is a gift to Vietnam, I better kick some butt on this project. So I'm I, I'm busy with a lot of my my TV show eats a lot of my time up three months a year. We film that in between. I do all my my regular work, run my businesses, and then three months at the end of the year, I promote the show and do all the can of butter marathon. So I'm really trying to to make sure that I put aside time for the rest of the year, a couple of days here, a couple a week here, whenever I can to to go to go shoot this. So all my free time will be locked up into this project. So I imagine it will take a few years, but I'm, I'm so excited to have started it. And the other thing about a project, like for all photographers out there, is it's a way for you to sort of hit reset in your photography. You know, I think when you do, you know, whatever kind of work you do, there's never time to practice, never time to fail, never time to try something new. So it's not the work can get stale and you should get away from who you are as a photographer, but every once in a while, it's, a personal project is a good time for you to sort of reinvent yourself, experiment, try different things, and I feel that's what I'm doing. I mean, it's I can really slow down too. When I do a New York Times shoot, you know, I might have two days, whereas a couple of years ago I might have had six days to do the same shoot. I've got a hustle. I've got to think for a layout. I've got to think for a you know a slideshow. Now I can go on this shoot, and the idea is is to really slow down and think and say, what's the shot I want to capture here? How do I want to frame this? And if I if I go to one location for three days and I get one set, which is two images, that's perfect. That's all I want. So that's very rare in photography where you're shooting just 
you know, maybe a week and you just want two images or, or four images total. But that's that's what I want to do with it. I really want to slow down and say, because the first shots, you're always going to say, oh, I like that, and you're going to go to your go-to shots, right? Whatever that is, shooting at 1.4 really wide or a tight shot with your subject as a, you know, frame to the left and your length, whatever your, your go-to shots are, this is more of, okay, let me actually think about this for a bit. Let me slow down. And that's why I'm using that camera too, the, the Hasselblad, because it's a, it's a slow camera, it's, worth, it's expensive, but it's, it's super slow, but the files are amazing, so it almost feels like you're, it makes you slow down. You can't go fast to that camera. Okay. Hey, I wanted to go back to um, a point that you made earlier about hard work. Um, this is something I've seen in my own life, and it's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, I've had I've had people on who were hikers, or I had um, this woman Alex on who travels around in a van. And I think sometimes with those people, the perception is like, oh, they're just living life, and this is this is great and it's fun, but it's actually a lot of hard work. Um, and I'd like to get your perspective on hard work, maybe in relation or in terms of your own life and in photography, because I think that. In my own experiences, if you really want something and you're willing to put in the work like that, that grinding day in, day out, sometimes monotonous work, uh, it often pays off. Uh, and it sounds like it has in your life as well. So can you talk about what, what, what hard work uh, was for you and what it means to you? Yeah, sure. So, like I said, when I did that workshop, there was 10 of us. I was the worst photographer. I was told I was the worst photographer. I knew I was the worst photographer. But... And I just knew if I hustled and stayed with it, I was going to make this happen. I didn't know what level. I didn't. Uh, I didn't care. I just knew I wanted to make a living out of it, out of photography. So it was just, you know, for photography specifically, it's not just going out and shooting and saying. A lot of people make excuses. Well, I think my work's better than this guy. So you know, but then they're just bitter at the world. But why does he get assignments or she gets assignments for this magazine? It's you got to hustle like anything else. We're in a saturated market. Photography's fun. It's an interesting, fun job to let you explore great, but hard to actually get paid to do it. So I had to be diverse. So I started, you know, I shot weddings. And when I shot weddings, of course, shoot my personal project is a lot more fun, traveling around and telling stories. But weddings, I found the fun and beauty in that. And you make money off of that and help fund my other projects and then turn that into a business. So it was just, it was hustle. Like anything else, you hear comedians talk about this and actors talk about this. You have to do all the crappy jobs. You have to, you know, some of them bloom late. Sometimes it happens. Your career can take off in your 30s or 40s, but you just got to stay with it. Like, I never give up. And it, half of the hustle isn't just going out and shooting. It's also what you're doing, you know, having a blog, having a, a newsletter, having a website, updating your website, looking at people's work, learning new skills in post-production, learning new skills in storytelling, uh, taking workshops, whatever you can afford to do. It's just staying with it, I felt. And I felt like I, for me to make a living at the way I wanted to make a living, I had to be diverse. So that's when I got into video production as well as commercial photography and, and even the TV shows, trying new things and experimenting. But yeah, when I wasn't busy, I was doing, like when I wasn't busy on assignments, I would, I'm, I'm spending my day like an office, like someone at the office. There's a lot of photographers might just lay around and complain online. <laughs> I was updating my website, looking at my images, reviewing stuff, contacting people, looking at other people in the area, why they're getting work, who they're getting work from, how can I get work, how can I get that quality of work too from the, these magazines. And yeah, I hustled. I went to New York City, I showed my work, I, I, I made as many phone calls as I could, I entered into Eddie Adams' workshop, I got into that, I leveraged that into making good contacts. 
And again, it wasn't because I was better, but it was because I hustled. Yeah, it also seems like, to me at least, photography, like a lot of art mediums, is really subjective, no? Like, so, like, uh, what you put out, someone might find beautiful and fascinating, and someone else might be bored by it. So it seems like it would be a, yeah. uh, maybe a bit difficult to catch on. Yeah, it is. I think and you have to be able to take that and, and not get bitter about it and use that energy to say, well, I want to get better. I'm competitive. I grew up, like, not in a, in a high level or anything, but I played sports as a kid. I loved sports, I, you know, and... and I always took it as like, oh, this editor doesn't like my work, and then not, oh, that editor is wrong. It's more, okay, what can I do to make it better? And I would use that energy to be competitive. You know, I look at the other people getting work and say, well, I want to get that work. I think I can do that. I think I can be just as good as that photographer. It's not better. So I'm just going to get better. You know, I'm not going to do negative things to them or, or hate on them or spend my energy on, on anything negative. I'm going to turn it into positive and, and all right, then my, you know, I need to do a better story. I think. That was another thing a lot of people don't don't do. If you're like when you're first starting in photography, you need to have a story. Like a lot of times, I'll get I'll get assignments off of stories that, like my agent Orange work still. That's years ago, right? That's a, a ten years ago I did that work, but it's storytelling storytelling that still holds up to this day. And your work is competing against you know some people. Oh well, I have these great shots, but if you spent a week on a story, someone else spent two years on a story. The editor's not calculating that into whether they want to hire you. Oh, well, that person, they're just saying, I like this story better, right? So if you spend right. more time on a project and have more depth to it, it's going to be better. So you have to commit that time. And if, you, if you're young and have a nine-to-five job and on sat- and, but still want to be a photographer, we need to pay the bills, I understand that. But on Saturdays, once a week, discipline yourself to shoot a project or on Sundays or before work or after work. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's the same you hear all those people talk about how they get into, into show business. Of course, it's more glamorous, but it was... You know, it's like they were going to school and doing, uh, you know, uh, improv at nighttime or on the weekends, and, and that's, that's how it works. You just have to stay with it. You have to, you know, I was going to school and working full-time at the same time just to try to make a living. It's all hustle. So, Justin, what is the, what's your long-term plan? Uh, History Channel, even though I understand it's not being played in the States right now, but, like, that's a real big deal. Where... Where do you go from here? What's your plan after the as above, so below work? Yeah, the plan for that is, I, I always think ambitious, but it's a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, I want this when it's done. I want to make a, make a book, not for profit so much. I don't, books don't sell well, and, and, uh, but it's more of something that I'll leave behind. You know, I, I'm starting, I'm 38 years old. I'll be 39 in a, in a week, and... You start to think when you're getting older, like, oh, what's my legacy? Is my legacy going to be a bunch of, uh, well, not legacy, just what do you leave behind? Is it going to be a bunch of, like, hotel books going to do a lot of <laughs> That's great to pay the bills. And, and But I think about things like, yeah, what projects will define me? And I think this will, I hope this will be a project that defines my work as a photographer. And, and I'd love to do this series. I think it has potential, a series like this, to do it in other countries, too. I have an attachment to Cambodia. I have an attachment to, to a lot of countries in Southeast Asia. So... I would, it would be fun if it could grow into that, but my focus is on, yeah, making sure my business is sustainable and we're growing and, and that's good and we're busy and that's great. But I also want to make sure that I, you know, I, I do, I have something to leave behind. I have a, and I feel like this project is going to be that. I, I want it to be more than just a one-time exhibition. I'd like it to travel around. I'd like the images to, people to pick up on that and use the images to promote Vietnam and, and all the beauties of Vietnam. And I hope it's done in a, 
tasteful way. I know it's, it's scary once you release the images. I can't control it, but I hope it's used more for, you know, like to promote the country as a whole and less for personal gain for people or, or to exploit the images somehow. But um, we'll see. Uh, I'm excited about the project, though, and, and and for me, it's also, yeah, it's like I feel like I'm, I'm I don't have a debt to this country, so I want to give something to it. That's interesting. Why do you feel like you owe a debt? Well, I guess because I've lived here for so long, and, and, you know, you feel like you, you know, my work is from outside publications. We work with Vietnamese companies, and it's also just, the, you know, the, like when you travel around, you have a lot of privilege being a foreigner. People invite you into their homes. They've been so nice to me for the years, let me photograph them, and these images run in magazines. And, and sure, I guess I've promoted tourism here through all my travel stories and told a lot of stories here, but... Yeah, I mean, I've lived here for 10 years. It's sort of, it is home for me. Uh, my life, my career started out here, so it's just sort of like, yeah, what can I give back to this country? I don't, I feel like I've taken a lot. What can I give? That's awesome. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask about uh, some Vietnam-related things, if that's cool. Uh, so, sure. do you know who Graham Holiday is? Say that again? Do you know who Graham Holiday is? Graham Holiday, I don't. He he wrote that a sounds familiar though. He wrote a book called Eating Vietnam, and um, I was lucky enough to have him on the podcast. But before I went to Vietnam the first time, I read the book, and I like I used it religiously to like hunt out good food. So <laughs> my first question: These are kind of like some quick hit questions. What is your favorite? Uh, Vietnamese food or Vietnamese dish to eat? <laughs> I am a bad person to ask this because I, I actually am a... I eat fish, so I'm a pescatarian, so a lot of the wonderful dishes that Vietnam has, I don't eat them. <laughs> wow, that's hard there. Uh, uh, I know, but that's why I have, like... Uh, yeah, I, I cook a lot at home, and, and I travel a lot outside of Vietnam for work, too, but, but I do eat fish, and my favorite dish in Vietnam is the Hanoi dish, actually. Chak Tha. Have you ever had Chak Tha? Uh, I had chakalavang. <laughs> it's that chakka. It's just like a, um, it's a Hanoi, there's a whole street called Chaka Street, and that's actually not where to go. That's a little bit touristy, but it's another street. I, can, I can't think of it offhand right now, but I go there a lot. It's a simple, simple dish. It's, you know, it's sort of like a, a catfish. And yes, yes, yes. And seal, and it's served with noodles and peanuts, and uh-huh. it's fantastic. And that's the yeah, one dish they make amazing. there. Very simple. You go to a place like Vietnam. It's all about a place. The best places are the ones that only serve that one dish. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't ask when you go in there. You just go in and it's like you sit down and I'll have one of what you make. That's it, it, Am I saying that wrong? Isn't that chakalavang with the catfish? Oh, uh, that might be the, the the name of the actual uh, restaurant. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Next one is I know I know you live in Hanoi. Uh, but I feel like there's still, or maybe even more so to this day, as as I, they're both sort of westernizing, but obviously uh, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City has has done so at a much a more rapid pace. Um, make your case for the better city, Hanoi or Saigon, and why. <laughs> Oh, it's always a battle here with expats and, and with locals about which city is better. Uh, you know, listen, if, you, if you're a young professional and you want an expat or, or local and you're looking to get into, like, the corporate world, 
obviously Ho Chi Minh would be better. There's, a lot, there's more more opportunity there for your companies. If you're a photographer or just traveling to a city coming coming from abroad, Hanoi has so much more character. I feel I mean, the street it's raw. We have different temperatures. I love that. It's not always hot here. You actually have different seasons. Um, but it's a very raw, untouched city. It doesn't feel like you're. Saigon, in some places, can feel like you're in the a U.S. city. And like when I travel, I don't want that feeling. It feels like everywhere else with the way the malls and stores are set up. Mm-hmm. I know it's changing at a much slower pace. So I, I always use the word raw. I think it's a very raw city. You still have open markets. You still have people selling stuff on the street. You you know you might still see in one part of the city you know expensive car go by, but then you might see a buffalo with a cart. Dragging by, too. You know, there's little plots of land that are still used for farming. If you go under Long Bean Bridge, there's still farming down there. So it's, it's a, sort of the best of both worlds here. We don't have as many wonderful, like, foreign, like, fine dining restaurants, but you go to get that in Singapore, get that in Bangkok or Hong Kong. But you have great street food here. Most of it I don't eat, but everyone else loves it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, it has character, too. The city's changing, so now is the time to come see it as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, in terms of those changes, um, 10 years is a long time to be there. And even when I went back a year later, I know there, there were already changes in Ho Chi Minh City that weren't there the year before. Like, in the 10 years you've been there, I'm sure, maybe Hanoi uh, less so, but still, I'm sure that there have been drastic changes. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, more buildings, more, you know, it's, it's yeah, more westernized in some ways, and a lot more Starbucks, and now we have McDonald's, and all those things weren't here when I first got here. Uh, so there's a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot more wealth, too, I mean, which is good. It shows that the economy is doing a lot better, so people are thriving. Uh, the young generation is a new generation that doesn't necessarily have a connection to the war so much, so it's interesting to see how they're going to develop as, 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 as a society, and yeah, it's been fun. And even just, just in photography alone, just seeing the growth and the level of photography and interest in photography in Vietnam has been fascinating. It keeps me sharp, too, because when I came here, there wasn't as much competition. Now there's competition on all different levels. So it's great. Yeah. Uh, So travel within Southeast Asia is uh, relatively easy and cheap if you're flying something like AirAsia. Let's say you have uh, a weekend or a four-day span uh, what's the one place that first comes to mind uh, that you would go to if you had that time? Outside of Vietnam? Yes. Yeah, if I was going to go away for a couple of days, you know, it, 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 it's different places for different things. Like when I want to go with my girlfriend and go relax somewhere and not think about much or do much, we'll go to Laos. You know, we'll go to Luang Prabang, hang out by the river, uh, get a nice hotel, have a nice coffee in the morning, and drink loud beer at sunset and relax. Uh, and it's a quick flight. If I want, if I need stuff, like if I need, okay, we've got to get some new gear or upgrade stuff and, and want a little more modern adventure, we'll go to Singapore. You know, and, and I have, or if I just need to catch up with some business contacts, a lot of the companies who work with their headquarters in Singapore, so that would be sort of a half work, half sort of modern, modern city weekend. <laughs> so different places for different things. We also, we shoot a lot of resorts, so a lot of times we'll, we'll have some credit with the resorts if we gave a couple extra pictures. We've got extra nights for them, so we might go to Samui or Phuket. But I don't love those places as much for the cities. I like if I, Sometimes I like just going to a resort and not leaving the resort. Because <laughs> I travel. It's a different world for me because I travel. I travel for work all the time, so when I have free time, I don't want to travel as much. 
Right. I want to get out of Southeast Asia when I travel because that's the way I'm starting to think now. Is like, let's go to, I'm going to go to Iceland at the end of the year. I'm very excited about that. Spend some time in, in France and in England as well. So that's going to be a fun trip, a nice change of pace. But you know, if you want an adventure, Myanmar is amazing. Uh, Laos is amazing. I still love Cambodia for, for different things. Um, yes, but Luang Prabang is a cool, relaxing, chill place. Yeah, I've been to Luang Prabang. I guess I had thought of, like, if you're living there, like, for me, coming from the States, going to Southeast Asia, it's so drastically different. But I guess I hadn't thought that if you're living there, you'd like to go somewhere outside of Southeast Asia. Um, well, I, no, I think if you live here and you don't travel like I did for work, it's quite different. Right, right that's true. I'm, I'm constantly going to these places, and so I relate air travel and airports and sitting in a car and then take another transport to work. And I love it, but it's, it's, you know, when you do it for, I just got back from, from being on the road for a month. It's nice to sometimes come back to, sometimes Hanoi feels like a getaway from me. Right. What, I would sit in my office like I am now, and I can relax, and I can, you know, I can edit, and I can catch up on things, and I can, I can think about the business and think about where my business is going. What is something, um, I'll be... <laughs> This is more for me. I'll be in Singapore for the first time um, this July. What is like? What's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of something that I need to do there? Uh, bring a credit card. It's expensive. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean everything's expensive there. I uh, I like Singapore. Like I, I would go explore uh, Katong. I spent some time in, in Katong working on a little project for a hotel there where I was documenting the neighborhood. So it was like shooting travel. Travel photography, but for a hotel. And the hotel is all about um, like uh, local culture, neighborhood culture. So I spent some time in Katong. It's a cool little part of Singapore that's fun to sort of explore, wander around, shoot street photography. Uh, great food. It's amazing food there. Laksa. A lot of, again, I missed out on a lot of the great seafood because of the meat, but right. people do love the street food there. Okay. A lot of parts of Singapore you can just be consumed by looking like one giant mall, but coming from like Coming from the U.S. is not impressive because you have all that stuff. You know, coming from Hanoi, it's like, oh, they have this store, that store. They have great shops for, like, photography gear and, you know, modern. and All that stuff here isn't quite there yet. So, But it's not as impressive for Americans, so I would explore that. Singapore's quite famous for street food as well. Chicken rice is a big thing, right? Yeah, people love that. They go <laughs> bananas over it. I don't understand this, but it sounds like it's pretty simple. <laughs> Everyone I know goes nuts over it. So. Well, listen, Justin, uh, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on today. Uh, again, I'll, I'll link to all of your stuff. Um, I really think cool. your, your photography is really beautiful. How can people um, either get in touch or how can they check out your work? Yeah, I think, you know, what I do now is, is from the show, it really got me back into teaching photography. So I, I've, I've launched my website, www.askmot.com, and that has all my photography tips and reviews and updates about everything, BTS on shoots. And if you just like to look at my, my project, it's on Instagram, and the handle is ode, O-D-E underscore two underscore Vietnam. So it's, uh, you can find me there. My regular Instagram account is askmot. Usually the hashtag asks my if you have photography questions, I'll do my best to answer. I like when people ask me publicly, not privately, so that other people can learn. So okay. any people have questions, just tag me on all social media. It's easy to find me with Ask Mott, M-O-T-T. Awesome. 
Um, all right, Justin, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Cool, Tim. Give me a shout next time you come to Vietnam.